Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Hannah, who suffered every parent's worst nightmare when she and her husband Keith tragically lost their little boy William in November 2021. We knew that we wanted to cherish today, that day with him. We can cry for the rest of our lives. We can cry all day, every day, but that day we wanted to be present for our little boy. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Sarah Marsh, and on the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Hannah bravely tells me how on a seemingly normal Saturday afternoon, in the space of 90 minutes, life for the whole family changed forever. She also explains how her son William survived two cardiac arrests thanks to CPR, and how this gave her and Keith some time to say goodbye to their beloved youngest son. This episode may be hard to listen to at points, but as Hannah says, it's so important to talk about life after loss and to share stories so that others know they aren't alone. Hi, Hannah. Thank you so much for appearing on the Ticker Tapes today to tell us your story. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so, so much for having me on. Your son, William, was born in February 2020, just before the start of the COVID pandemic. And I wondered if we could start by you telling us a little bit about what he was like as a baby. Yeah, of course. Um, So I am a mummy of three little boys, William being the youngest. And at the beginning of lockdown, we literally went into lockdown six weeks after William was born. I'd had him via C-section and I remember it really clearly on... The March on March 23rd, when we went into lockdown, I had just been given the clear to drive again. But instead, I was at home with Max, who had just turned five, mm-hmm. and Lewis, who was three and a half, and William, who was six weeks. William, from a very young age, was used to noise, was used to a house full of people and disruption, and he thrived off of that. If we fast forward a year later to the summer of 2021, he was between 15 and 18 months and just such a happy toddler. Uh. He thought every single person who came round to our house was there to play with him. Uh. And in all honesty, he didn't want toys. He just wanted to be included and to feel loved and to have loads of attention. And that's what his two big brothers gave him. I mean, obviously, he was like a very much people person, even from that very young age. Very, very much a little um, people person. He was a little entertainer. Mm. He he would run down the garden knowing he was not supposed to pull all the flowers off of my plants. And he'd turn (laughs) around, he'd look at me with a cheeky little smile and do it anyway. He he just thrived off being an adventurer. He was always happy in the mud, uh, playing with sticks. Just He really did just want to be involved in what anybody else was doing. I think Mm. he went from a baby to a toddler overnight. Mm. And his two big brothers worshipped him. He completed our family in a way that we didn't realise was possible because between Max and Lewis, there's only 18 months. So Mm. Max doesn't remember Lewis as a baby. And... For them both to have been given the best gift in the world, which was William, they they were just all so happy and such a little boy gang and I know would have caused me a lot of trouble in years to come. Important to say, William 
I went through just the normal colds, the any little toddler does, the runny nose, um, te- slight temperatures, but nothing that um, Calpo and Nurofen couldn't fix. And he only visited the GPs for his routine vaccinations. All he knew was being surrounded by love and his brothers and just a house full of love, really. Exactly that. He knew no, no different. And actually, I think he... He was quite surprised when all of a sudden his two big brothers went off to school five days a week and um, he was left at home with me. I think I I wasn't as exciting as they were. We fast forward then to Saturday 13th of November 2021, which was seemingly on the face of it just another sort of normal hectic day for your family. Yeah. Um, William had a slight temperature that day, but he generally was fine in himself. Um, And sort of that afternoon, sort of early evening, you're giving the boys pizza for dinner, and suddenly everything changes, literally in a moment, really. Can you please explain what happened next? Yeah, of course. So William woke up Saturday morning with a slight temperature, and it was no higher during the day than 38 degrees, Mm -hmm. Uh, But it came straight back down to under 37 with a single dose of cowpole. I've got videos of him that day, climbing, jumping, laughing, playing. I always say to people, if what happened later hadn't have happened, it was just a regular weekend. I, I wouldn't remember it now. There was nothing out of the ordinary. And so at 4.15 that day... I popped Will into his high chair and gave him some water and some pizza. Uh And his older brother, Max, was at home with me as well. And he was having his tea. And actually, William ate all of his dinner so quickly, he wanted more. So I had to pinch Uh some more pizza from Max's plate. Uh I went round the corner of our kitchen just to our fridge. And when I came back, I could see the behind of William... And the right side of him was slumped into, like, the corner of the high chair. And I thought, that's wow. weird. Yeah. Went went round to look at him. And I initially thought he was choking because he was eating food. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, I noticed that his eyes had rolled up and backwards. And yeah. he was um, shaking. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was what's known as a tonic-clonic seizure, which is where you lose consciousness and your body goes stiff and your limbs jerk about. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that information at the time. I just knew it was a seizure. I was pretty yeah. certain it was. Um, I unstrapped him really quickly, dialed 999. The, the first responder on the phone, she stayed on the line with me and she told mm-hmm. me to lay him on the floor don't try and do anything. He needs to just let his body do what it's going to do and come out of it itself. Yeah. And our telephone conversation finished just under, in just under six minutes because the paramedics had arrived. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. If I'm honest, I calmed down slightly when they arrived because I just thought they're here and that they're professionals. They'll be a lot calmer than me. They'll, They'll know what to do. So initially there were two paramedics who arrived and I then stepped aside. I was cuddling Max. He was, you know, scared and upset. 
uh, one seeing his his little brother in in a state that he's never seen him in, and and seeing me, yeah, so so frantic, and yeah. I, I like to see your mother out of control. Basically, uh-huh. I, I couldn't fix this, uh, and then five minutes later, another paramedic arrived, and two policemen came as well. One policeman looked after me, and one looked after Max, uh-huh. and he was very calming very reassuring and he he wanted to know what time my husband was going to be home. William had been fitting for around 20 minutes at this point which is it that's it's a really long that is a long time to be fitting and he said let's call your husband and um, Keith was still half an hour away. Part of me was thinking by the time Keith gets home William's going to be out of this we're going to be getting ready to go to the hospital. Yeah. And and that is how I was trying to get myself through through this event, which was taking place at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, then another member from the critical care team arrived. So there were then four paramedics and his seizure lasted 45 minutes. Wow. Did it feel like it was happening in slow motion or in a, or in a really quick it, kind I of would, period of time? It felt like both. Really? It felt that... It took forever for him to come out of the seizure. Yeah. But it also felt like, because everything was happening so quickly, you know, paramedics were arriving, policemen were arriving. My parents had arrived back with Lewis as well because they'd taken him out for the day. So it felt as if it had happened in the space of minutes, but also felt like a lifetime to be told William stopped seizing. Then... We were told, I had heard of this, but as as I've um, spent the last year raising awareness, mm. I know quite a lot of people haven't heard of febrile seizures. Yeah. So a febrile seizure is, um, it's a type of seizure that small children can suffer when they um, spike a fever. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel that it's a really important thing just to say that William C, um, William's temperature was at 38 and I took I took his temperature 25 minutes before his seizure. So I'm never going to know what his temperature was the moment he went into his seizure. Mm. But 20-ish minutes before, it was at 38 and he was happy and he was eating and he was drinking. Yeah. So it isn't always a case that it has to be over 40 for these seizures to occur in small children. Then obviously the paramedics were preparing to take William to hospital and as he was about to go off in the ambulance he suffered a cardiac arrest didn't he I know you didn't know that at the time you found out later and you didn't know what was going on at first because the doors of the ambulance were shut on your drive but was it right you were later told they'd been performing CPR that is correct so they were getting him onto the stretcher Right. making sure his oxygen levels were good um, and, and doing all their medical checks. Yeah. And they they said to me, oh, we're going to get him ready. Can you grab his nappy bag, his uh, water bottle, his red medical book? Just get everything ready and then we're going to head off to the local hospital. I stood on our drive and watched them get him onto the ambulance and it mm. was really calm and then... Suddenly, they obviously knew what I didn't know was happening and the doors closed behind us. And um, 
my husband arrived home whilst the doors were closed. And my initial thought was that he was having another seizure. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any heart history. I never would have considered what we were about to be told. And about 10 minutes later, a paramedic came out to my husband and I, and he was sweating. Mm-hmm. And he said the words, William went into cardiac arrest. Where I had held myself together for an hour at this point, yeah, I just fell to the floor. <clears throat> to, hear, to hear those words about a 21-month-old baby, I, I, if I'm honest, I didn't even consider that a baby could suffer a cardiac arrest. It just isn't something you think about. No. Um, and, and it really wasn't something I was prepared to hear. And after his seizure, five minutes later, he went into cardiac arrest. And from his medical notes and from the debrief meeting that we have had with the hospital um, a few months after William died, what we know is that his breathing had slowed down in the ambulance and that he became breathless. Mm -hmm. And then he became bradycardic, which is um, the slowing of the heart. William's heart rate was at 41 beats per minute. And that was then when CPR commenced. He was given a shot of adrenaline as well. Mm -hmm. And he was ventilated from the paramedics performing CPR on our son. Mm -hmm. They managed to get the return of the cardiac cardiac activity. As you say... Cardiac arrest can happen to anyone of any age at any time, but you would never think that your seemingly healthy, happy, not even two-year-old baby, this is something that can can impact a little boy so full of life, so young. And then actually what happened next was that, at, you know, that he was brought back by CPR and they were then travelling to hospital with you and Keith your husband following behind and then the ambulance then pulled over at the side of the road didn't it and it, you were yeah. sort of you were sitting behind and again you didn't know what was happening and you were later told that he had suffered a second cardiac arrest and am I right in thinking that this time the paramedics performed CPR for even longer it was about 11 minutes that that is correct Keith and I were terrified but we were not prepared for that that car journey to the hospital we were we were being driven in a doctor's car by the two policemen mm-hmm. and they were wonderful really reassuring just trying to keep two parents who were absolutely broken yeah. calm mm-hmm. and we saw an ambulance pulled over by the side of the road we weren't 100% sure it was our ambulance but mm-hmm. in our hearts we knew it we knew it mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. and we sat in that car And the words that came out of mine and Keith's mouth were, Mm. is he dead? Is our little boy, has he died? The information that we knew was that he'd had a prolonged seizure and that his body was so tired and had suffered so much trauma that it had gone into cardiac arrest. And... The, the paramedics, they started moving again. The blue lights started and they headed off to hospital and we followed behind, right. not knowing anything. 
when we got to the hospital, we were taken into the family room and we were told William had suffered a second cardiac arrest on the side of the road. Our paramedics, they gave him two doses of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. He was ventilated and um, they'd intubated him and they performed life-saving CPR on our little boy at the side of the road. So when we arrived at the hospital, they said to us, he's alive, do you want to see him? Yeah. And so we were taken into a room where there were, I counted seven doctors, nurses, anaesthetists in there with him. Right. And Keith and I just stood there frozen. That this had, in 90 minutes, this is where our life was. You know, you never think this could happen to you. And in the space of literally 90 minutes, your life as you knew it was changed forever. It was. No one knows how they're going to react or how they're going to feel in this kind of situation. And you didn't know what was happening, what was going on. You were just terrified. We stayed at the local hospital for another three hours. Um, Right. The news we were given next was, your son, we don't have an intensive care unit here for children. We will be transferring you to a specialist hospital in London. And I remember Mm -hmm. looking at the consultant Mm -hmm. and just saying to her, what do you mean an intensive care unit? Mm. My emotions, I, I couldn't keep up with what was happening, if I'm honest. I just couldn't stop shaking. The only way I can describe it is a roller coaster of emotions from the seizure to the paramedics arriving and breathing a sigh of relief, thinking mm-hmm. he's going to come out of this really soon. He's going yeah. to be okay. Yeah. yeah. To then them saying to us, he's had a prolonged seizure, again, hitting the pit of your stomach, to then we're on our way to the hospital, don't, you know, we're going to get him there, mm-hmm. to then two cardiac arrests. And for me, the toughest moment of that night was sitting in that car on the side of the road. Yeah. it. Every time I have to drive over that bridge, those traffic lights, it just triggers PTSD. Yeah. And the not knowing, the, the, the fact that the words came out of our mouths that night, mm-hmm. is William alive? Is William dead? Could he die? It, it, just, it really does go to show how precious and how fragile life is and that it can change it quite literally in a heartbeat. And I know that so much happened over the next few days. They ran numerous tests. You were told that William, you know, and I can't imagine being told this, that he'd suffered irreversible brain damage and you were just clinging on to hope. But by the Tuesday morning, so three days on from when Will had had the seizure, you and Keith were told the heartbreaking news that definitively they thought William wasn't going to make it. I mean, the trauma you'd gone through, you'd both gone through over those three days, I can't imagine, but can you can you put into words what it was like, you know, that, that, that final day before he slipped away, you know, the time you yeah. spent with him? Anyone who is listening to this who has been into intensive care who has watched a loved one in that environment will know it never leaves you. Mm. And there is so much from those four days that 
I hope we never see again or witness again. Um, For Keith and I, William's body was there in front of us. Yeah. And he still looked absolutely perfect. And if you took all the wires away from him, you'd have just thought he was peacefully sleeping. Mm -hmm. And the consultant spoke to us. I mean, she was probably speaking complete sense, but I hadn't slept for two and a half days and I'm living my worst nightmare. Yeah. And she and she said to us that his brain damage was irreversible. They said that William's brain damage was so catastrophic that his body was already shutting down. And we, we just sat there looking at our perfect little boy yeah and it that was on the Tuesday we were given the news yeah and it was the the Wednesday morning when the sun came up and Keith and I probably had moments of sleep Mm -hmm. and we just knew today was the day I don't know why but we just knew that we knew his heart rate was starting to slow yeah everything was becoming much harder for him Mm mm-hmm and we we didn't even say it to each other, but we, we knew that we wanted to cherish today, that day with him. We can cry for the rest of our lives. We can cry, you know, all day, every day, but that day we wanted to be present for our little boy. And we played him his favourite cartoons. We told him stories and life support was removed at 4pm and Keith and I were, we Keith was one side, I was the other side of him in this single bed and I told him the story of his life. I told him about his brothers, mm-hmm. the garden, the holidays, everything that had shaped him that summer to be the little boy that we would love forever and never forget. And... I don't know why, because this isn't a song that had ever meant anything to me beforehand, but the words to Snow Patrol chasing cars came into my head and I just said to him, mm-hmm. if I lay here, if I just lay here, will you lie with me and just forget the world? And I just didn't want to leave that room and leave no. my child. It's just, it's so it's so hard to talk about. It's just... It is. Like you say... I mean, that is a situation that no person, never mind no parent, would ever, ever want to live through. And I just can't imagine. Words aren't really enough, are they, to sort of explain what you went through? No, and that I remember very early on after losing William and its feelings... It's feelings that you never knew you had inside of you or that mm-hmm. were possible to feel. And I I believe in myself, I don't know in if, if it's the same with other people, but there are certain feelings that you would only feel if you lost a child because that goes against the natural order of things. Yeah. No parent should have to watch their child die. That is not the natural order. You don't have a child... You have a child thinking they will be at your funeral, not that you will be at their funeral. After you'd lost William, you were told that his category of death was SUDC, which stands stands for Sudden Unexplained 
death in childhood. And I know that it's an area that still not enough research has been done. They, you know, parties are doing research and the BHF is one of those. The BHF is currently funding research into sudden cardiac death. The shock families must feel when they go through something like this is unimaginable. But having, you know, sort of no explanation for it, does that make it worse? Does that make it harder to cope in those sort of early weeks? So, because this all happened in the space of four days, yeah, I don't think straight away I fully understood, one, what had happened, and two, that we didn't have any answers. It was when I had to start letting the world know what had yeah. happened that right. I would face questions. Yeah. The what? Why? How? Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you and Keith satisfied with that answer? Keith and I had sat in that paediatric intensive care unit mm. and we'd spoken with doctors. We had a nurse 24-7 with William. At all times, he had a member of a medical team with him. Mm. And we saw everything that they did to fight for our little boy. It, it makes it very tough to believe the children over the age of one can just suddenly die. Um, yeah. I think for anyone who hasn't heard of SUDC, it is a category of death in children aged one to 18, mm-hmm. which remains unexplained after a thorough investigation, which includes a post-mortem, which mm-hmm. means families like us live without answers. And yeah. it was five months after... William died that we got the post-mortem report Mm -hmm. back and I received a telephone call and I said to the lady on the phone before she even gave me the answer I -hmm. said there's nothing is there I said I know my little boy I said I know there was nothing wrong with him Mm -hmm. and she said Hannah I'm so sorry no we do not have any more information that we can give to you I work hard with with um the charity SUDC UK, Um, like we're striving to gain medical research and to Mm -hmm. raise awareness of this category of death and really importantly to offer early support to families who are going through through such through such trauma you you have I know I know that you have been of help to so many people just because it's been really important to you from the start to speak openly about your story to share William's story in the hope that it might help others and also to talk about grief in a very real way because it's something that impacts so many people. How have you coped with your grief as a family and how are you doing now? Yeah, um, as you said, Sarah, I am very open with my grief and I think it is really important because I feel that in our country, in our society, we're always supposed to be seen as, oh, we're okay, you know, um, mask it, everything will be okay. With child loss especially, you're not going to be okay. There Mm -hmm. was nothing natural about a child dying and I very much take it day by day and some days it feels like climbing a mountain and other days... I, I, I can find ways to get through it. And yeah, 
I, I think even just me and my husband, I know that grief is personal and it's unique. We we all experience different thoughts and feelings and we ride different waves of grief at different mm-hmm. times. Yeah. Um, but things that are important for me, I know that I have to make space in my life for my grief. And it, it's dedicated time for my grief and the love that I have for William. And it isn't always sitting in floods of tears. No. It is. It it can be about getting outside and going for a walk, pottering in the garden, but it's mm-hmm. just dedicated, quiet time yeah. where I process my thoughts and my feelings and, and the realisation that my toddler isn't here and he doesn't get to grow up. Yeah. It's, it's such a luxury, I feel now, when Max turned eight last week and I, mm-hmm. and I just sat there and I thought... Max gets to turn eight. Yeah. Chances are he's going to get to turn nine, he's going to get to turn ten. And I don't take that lightly. I, I really, really don't. Like, it's such a privilege to age yeah. and to become a grown-up because yeah. there are so many families like mine where all we'd ever wish for, our only wish, would be that our child could have grown up. Yeah. And having two other children, mm-hmm. it's really important for us that we have had an open dialogue with Max yeah. and Lewis and supported them in ways, just even down to the basics, where you can say to them, boys are allowed to cry. Yeah. And you can feel like you're the only person or the only family going through what you're going yeah. through. Yeah. And when you reach out to a charity and they have got time to listen to you and dedicated experts to support you... That is a huge comfort for all of us. And also helping other people to know they're not alone. Yeah. As well. I, and that, that's been really important for me. I started to share our story five months after William died. And I yeah. found writing to be such an important outlet for me. Mm-hmm. I, I would write to William. I would write about William. But I collated it all and put it onto my Instagram page and mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. my blog. And, you know, my my inbox is full of other grieving parents, mainly, yeah. mainly mothers, because they can relate to how I'm feeling. And they say to me, thank you for just validating all of my feelings and making yeah. me feel like I'm not going mad. Yeah. And I know... That another thing that's very close to your heart because of what happened to William is the importance of CPR training because the incredible paramedics who cared for him were able to bring him back twice thanks to CPR. Although so tragically he didn't make it, it did give you some time with him at the end. And I I just I just wondered if you could explain what difference that made to you and why you're supporting the BHF's work, highlighting the importance of learning CPR? Yeah, I I am internally grateful for the paramedics because although William only had four days after his, his trauma, mm-hmm. it gave Keith and I just a couple of days with him. I spoke to William's paramedic a year after he passed away we had a meeting with them and I asked her a question which I had wondered every day 
And I said to her, was there any point you were going to stop CPR that night? Mm-hmm. And she was crying, I was crying. And she looked at me and she said, no. She said, we were going to fight for your little boy mm-hmm. and we were going to get him to hospital and we were going to get him in the arms of his mummy and his daddy. Yeah. And we can't change that William died, but it is etched in my heart what those paramedics did that night to allow William to die in the arms of his family. And everything that the British Heart Foundation is doing is so important because, let's be really blunt here, CPR saves lives. Yeah. I urge anyone who is listening to this to just not scroll social media for 10, 15 minutes. Go onto the British Heart Foundation website and learn CPR. It's it's a few minutes out of your day, but we walk around this world with rose-tinted glasses on, thinking mm-hmm. these things are not going to happen to us. They're not going to happen to our family. I'm here saying to you, Unfortunately, such tragic events can take place in our lives. Mm-hmm. But being prepared for things that you hopefully will never, ever need to know or need to use is a much better position to be in than to wish you had spent 10, 15 minutes looking into what to do if someone mm-hmm. goes into cardiac arrest. The BHF has our free interactive online tool reviver and you can yeah. literally learn CPR in 15 minutes. You need your mobile phone and a cushion, that's it. And in 15 minutes, you can learn how to save a life. You never know when it might happen to a family member. It, you never know it might happen to somebody next to you in the street. But as you say, if you're prepared, you will be the best tool to save that person's life or give them the best chance of saving their life. I, I can't stress it enough, just spend a little bit of time understanding about cardiac arrest, learning about a defibrillator, just really spend a little bit of time educating yourself. You've spoken so eloquently about, you know, the work that you're doing to try, do something, do what all you can do to learn from William's loss and to help others and to help educate others. Your little boy, he was so beautiful. He was only here for 21 months, but he touched so many lives, Hannah. And I just, do you think, sort of finally, is that what drives you on to keep talking about this CPR, to keep talking about grief and life after loss? Because you want that to be the lasting legacy to William. Absolutely, Sarah. Um, I share our story and probably more importantly, I share my beautiful little boy with the world because he is worth so much more than 21 months and a tragic death. Mm -hmm. He is a little boy who he's done more in his lifetime and since his loss than a lot of people will ever do. We've spoken about him on the radio. I've been on podcasts. He's been in the newspaper. He's been spoken about in the Houses of Common, you know, his his legacy is about awareness, research, and it's mm-hmm. about his strength and 
my hope as a mother that one day life will be wonderful. It won't ever be the same. It can't be the same. But I cling on to that hope and strength that one day life will be wonderful. He's taught me so much that tomorrow isn't a promise to anybody. No. So be kind to yourself, be kind to other people, and just know that small things that you do each day can really make a difference. It doesn't yeah. have to be the big things. It it can just be the small things in life, and yeah. they're the ones that make you appreciate everything that you have. Well, thank you so much for speaking so bravely about something that is so difficult. I think it's such an important conversation to have. And just thank you so much for appearing on the Ticker Tapes. Thank you so much for having me on, Sarah, and letting me speak about my beautiful son and just helping to raise awareness of things that are really close to my heart and just to support other families who, like mine, are going through a difficult journey which you didn't ever imagine that you'd have to be on. So thank you to the British Heart Foundation. The BHF is constantly funding research into sudden, unexplained cardiac death. Every year in the UK, there are more than 30,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests where emergency medical services attempt to resuscitate the victim. But sadly, the survival rate is low. Just one in 10 people survive. Early CPR and defibrillation can help to double the chances of surviving such a cardiac arrest. And many of us may witness a cardiac arrest in our lifetime. With the BHF's free interactive online CPR training course, Reviver, you could learn to save a life in just 15 minutes. You'll find more information at reviver.bhf.org.uk. If you've got any questions or concerns about your heart or circulatory health and would find it helpful to speak with a cardiac nurse on the BHF's Heart Helpline, go to our website at bhf.org.uk slash hearthelpline where you'll find all the contact options. You'll also find useful information in the episode notes and on our website, bhf.org.uk. And if you've got your own heart story or have any thoughts on this episode, please get in touch with us by emailing theTickerTapes at bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes.